Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome aboard a Must Read Alaska coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. We are the place for the best conservative news and content where we're standing up for your constitutional rights as Americans and your freedoms here on the last frontier. You can also find Must Read Alaska on our website, mustreadalaska.com, where we just surpassed 18 million views since we launched the website in 2016. So we're pretty proud of that, and we're pretty thankful for everybody who um, goes to the website and checks out the news that we, we put out every day, several times a day. I look for us also on Facebook and Instagram, also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and some, some of the other social media programs that have, have shown up over the past few years. We're even on Rumble. I am Suzanne Downing, and you can find my column, Must Read America, at our news partner, Newsmax. Well, I'm joined by John Quick in Nikiski, as usual. And John, can you tell me what is going on in Nikiski for a minute? Well, thanks so much, Suzanne. John Quick here uh, in the great place of Nikiski, Alaska. And uh, we never have a dull moment out here. We have uh, a Mayor Charlie Pierce who sticks up continually for our freedoms. And uh, last week he was at an assembly meeting and uh, he mentioned in public comments that uh, the uh, local hospitals did have a lot of COVID patients and he encouraged people to let their doctors be doctors. And perhaps a, a vaccine was not the only solution to quote unquote curing COVID, that there could be some other avenues in which a doctor could treat COVID. And he mentioned some drugs uh, that uh, Trump actually mentioned uh, several months back. Ivermectin and, was the one that he, uh, that is sort of sticking out in my mind. Yep, Ivermectin. And, and uh, what he said was, you know, don't take my word for it. Go ask your doctor, do the research on your, on your own, um, but go check out Ivermectin and, and you know, Z-Pack and a couple other ones that he mentioned. And so just like local news normally does, they do a hit piece on conservatives. The, the uh, local newspapers do not want conservatives to have success. They want conservatives to fail. And That's they true. will write stories uh, in effort to help their cause for all conservatives across the great state of Alaska to fail. So they, they quoted him as basically wanting to put, put a bunch of horse drugs in people's bodies and without calling your doctor. Horseworm medicine, yep. Yeah, and so the... Uh, the AP picked up the story after the local uh, newspaper did the story and they didn't do much fact checking. They never called the mayor to ask him his point of view. They just ran with the story. And then USA Today and MSN saw that this story was out there and they did their own stories on it. And so here we have Charlie Pierce front page of USA Today saying, take a bunch of horse pills <laughs> and it couldn't be further from the truth. And so we kind of gave him an opportunity and and unlike what local journalists do, we actually called the source and we said- I actually hey. called him, I did. I said, Charlie, you know, tell me about this, this uh, horse warming medicine that you want everybody to take. It, yep. was, and, uh, it, was, it was ridiculous. Yep, and so he, he 
really just communicated what he did at the assembly meeting, the same thing. Call your doctor, get their advice, do your research. Uh, but uh, it can't be that we're out there saying that the only thing we could ever do against COVID-19 is take a vaccine. And so um, he was able to get his point across and, and got lots of love from folks from, from Must Read Alaska uh, being able to, to print his truthful side of the story. So... Uh, yeah, well, we, we love, love me some Charlie Pierce. He's a great mayor, and it's too bad that he's going to be term limited out. I don't know what you're going to do when he's gone, but the Republic of Nikiski and the, and the Kenai Peninsula will, will carry on, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll find a good replacement for him. Got to do that. Hey, we have a great guest today, and, and he's a, a friend of the show. He's a friend of Must Read Alaska, and he is a great patriot. His name is Jay McDonald, and he's joining us to talk about Afghanistan. Jay, are you on the line with us? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. And if I could just have like 10 seconds to talk yep. about Mayor Charlie Pierce, if those people actually cared about science, they would know that ivermectin has been approved for use in humans for over 30 years for a wide range of applications internally and externally. About a trillion doses are administered a year. And uh, I, I don't think that those news outlets are going to be hit with any uh, bans on Facebook for spreading medical misinformation like they have been. Yeah, you got a great point there. And that's why we have you on the show, because you are a pretty smart guy. And actually, you are an Afghanistan Army veteran. And uh, we were talking a little bit over the weekend about what's going on in Kabul and, and the country of Afghanistan. That today is, a, is kind of timely, since it is in Afghanistan right now. It is the 31st. And we are apparently out of there. We've left the last plane out. And I, I just wanted to, to hear some of your perspective about the reality of the Taliban taking over there. And I know you've got a lot to say. So first of all, tell us about, you know, your service over there. I think people would want to know. Yeah, sure. So I, I spent uh, about two years in Afghanistan. And, you know, granted, I was lower enlisted, but, um, you know, travel a decent amount in, in the country and did quite a few things while I was there. Um, I was there with the 173rd. I know you had a note in your notes that uh, in OEF-8, one of the 173rd received the Distinguished Service Cross, and that was actually my squad leader. That was the night that I got my Brown Star. Mm. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> spent a decent amount of time there, spent time on BAF, um, I, I did security. Some of the some of the things that we're seeing in the news these days, I actually had firsthand experience with. Like um, what? Basically, well, like the 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 people who got blown up um, in that terrorist attack the other day. I've done that guard shift before, not at that position. I was doing it on BAF, but I know what those people were experiencing, and I know how unsecure the position that they were in was because I've been there myself. Hmm. Well, we know that um, that the uh, 173rd has been over in Afghanistan numerous times, and and you were over there for a couple of years, I presume, with uh, Operation Enduring Freedom. And um, what province were you specifically in, then, Bath? I spent most of my time in uh, Paktika province, which it's a really uh -huh. interesting place. It's like you're traveling about 1,500 years into the past. It's a real it's a real time capsule. I'm not saying that to be sarcastic either. It really is like that. And it was a very interesting experience. Um, but yeah, I, I just, we can start out by saying, you know, a lot of people, they're looking at the news these days and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this looks, this looks really bad. And I'd like to 
actually reassure those people like it looks really bad in the news but it's actually much much worse than the news is letting on so like right now the the brutal um 16 wheeler of reality is bearing down on biden's coexist bumper sticker um people are going to be writing books for generations about what an absolute disaster this plan was and it didn't need to be this way this is all the result of very specific decisions that were made for political considerations that were completely divorced from what the situation on the ground was. I've always been anti-Afghanistan war before, during, and after I spent my time there. I really wanted the war to end. I wanted us to draw down our troop levels. We didn't necessarily need to close all of our bases there, but there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. And the way that this was handled, the the sheer depth of incompetence it's it's stunning and it's so disheartening to me because i know that the majority of the people that were behind these decisions the the intelligentsia the the elite in washington dc whether they're in the state department or the pentagon not only are they not going to learn anything from this those people none of them are going to face any kind of consequences for their actions they're all going to be promoted and you know it's just, I don't even want to go on that down that rabbit yeah. hole. We've got plenty to talk about. Well, we, well, so we, well, we do. We we know that the last plane has left, and that so the last Americans are out of there, and that we also know that there are a number of Americans stranded. And and I'm in spite of what Jen Psaki says on behalf of the president, uh, they are stranded there. But my, I guess I have a question. You you sort of been you you follow this more closely than I do, but. Why is it that they didn't get out sooner? For instance, maybe way back in the spring when things started looking pretty dicey or, or is it impossible when you're on the ground there to kind of really get accurate picture of what's going on? Well, I think it's best to start with the, the first big narrative that we're seeing with a lot of these people that are drawing, you know, they're, they're trying to make excuses for the way Biden handled this stuff. They're saying, oh, well, well, mm -hmm. Trump was going to draw down too. And this is the plan that he passed to Biden. And this is really Trump's fault. That could not be further from the truth. There was a plan that was negotiated by the Trump administration. The moment that the election happened, that whole plan was scrapped. It went out the window. The timeline changed. The consequences changed. There were, there were hard targets to be hit. And things would happen if the Taliban did not hit those targets. That plan is not what we're operating off of right now. And it makes a big difference in a number of ways. Like first off, there's something called a fighting season in Afghanistan. You're not gonna be engaging in, in you know, hard fighting, clearing rooms and like on the ground and, and in the hills if you're a Talib, when you're wearing sandals, when it's snowy and icy out, okay? Over the winter, everything dies down. So the, the spring timeline, that the administration, the former administration had made a lot of sense, they wouldn't have the opportunity to sweep through the whole country the way that they did what we just saw. Um, so the other thing, the way that everything broke down in the end and became this massive humanitarian crisis, they didn't, they massively underestimated the Taliban. They didn't think that they would take over the entire country and because they didn't plan for any of that stuff to happen, they assumed that they would have a safe and secure environment to process everybody in an orderly manner 
and withdraw them on a timeline that they felt was reasonable. And this, this is so, it's so incredible what happened because they didn't really report this widely in the news. One of the reasons why U.S. citizens and refugees weren't able to get out quickly enough is because they were actually stopping them from traveling at the airport because they were making them do COVID tests. And I'm sure you can imagine a place like Afghanistan, it's not like they have like a cutting edge medical technology ready to whip you through there and process you and get your test results back that day. You know what I mean? There was literally people that would show up with all their documents and everything in order, ready to travel, and then get stuck on the tarmac and their flight would leave without them because they didn't have their PCR COVID test. Wow. And so basically, so, this. go ahead, John, what are you saying? So, so Jay, I got a question for you. Um, uh, we left a lot of equipment behind, a lot of guns, a lot of Humvees, a lot of drones. Um, I think, you know, as I talk to my friends that are maybe more on the left side or liberal side, they don't fully encompass how bad that situation is. Can you kind of paint a perspective for our listeners of just how bad it is to leave the Taliban, you know, billions of dollars worth of uh, weaponry. Oh yeah, so people um, people have this idea, they think, oh, well, we left some equipment behind. They're thinking about like, oh, there's probably a Humvee that's up on blocks or maybe some guns or something like that. That is not the case. Um, $88 billion worth of equipment, uh, including things like pallets of US cash, just US pallets of US currency. It's like that scene in Breaking Bad where they open up the storage unit and there's just a giant pile of money. Yeah, we left we left that for the Taliban. Um, there's a list that's going around now that has it in detail. I've seen a number of people posting the graphic on social media. It's from the US government accounting office. And you know, 65,000 squad automatic weapons, 176 artillery pieces, uh, 42,000 trucks and SUVs, 155 mind-proof uh, Max Pro up-armored vehicles, um, 634 uh, M117s, 22,000 Humvees. Um, the aircraft was one that I thought was really insane. You know, so uh, about 38 Cessnas, some some other like Embraer transports, four C-130s, and then let's see, about a, a little over a hundred helicopters. Um, so, you know, and around 200 did you, see, did you see that picture of that guy uh, dangling from the landing gear of one of those, uh, one of our Blackhawks over there? Um, I guess oh. the Taliban now have control of our Blackhawks and they're, they're hanging people from it and then um, parading them around the skies in Kabul. Yeah. And so, you know, some of those things there, they won't necessarily know how to maintain and operate all that equipment, like the Blackhawks in particular, but the fact that U.S. taxpayers bought that stuff for them is is pretty hard to to deal with, you know. And the Taliban has one of the most well-equipped militaries on Earth right now, um, thanks to the way that we did this. But the real story with what we what we left behind, we had these biometric systems, where it was a handheld device that had a, a place for you to do a thumbprint and an eye scan. And at least when I was using them, there wasn't like an advanced um, password security system locking them. You could just get in and operate them relatively easily. And they had a database attached to them. Every single Afghan who was an interpreter, 
who had base access, who worked with the Americans or was cleared to access our bases. All of those Afghans, it had their faces, it had their names, their aliases, their biographical information, everything you would need to hunt them down and find them. And we surrendered that to the Taliban. And then when we surrendered the embassy, all of that same information for all of the US citizens that were in Afghanistan was surrendered to the Taliban. We left that in the building. And then on top of that, after the Taliban took over and raided our embassy and all of that, either, I don't know if it was the State Department or the Pentagon, but somebody had, somebody in the Biden administration had US forces supply the Taliban with lists of all of the people that we were looking for, which that's the specific thing that most people are referring to when they talk about treason. That absolutely meets the definition for what is actually not, not hyperbolic, making me angry, kind of like, I feel like this is treasonous. No, that is actual treason to render that kind of aid to our enemies. And if those people are still in that country, there's videos online of how they're being handled. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about, you know, because I think the other side thinks that it's going to be, you know, the Taliban is going to be nice to these folks and, you know, it's going to be a kumbaya and, you know, you've been there. What's going to happen to these folks that are left behind or found through this biometric scanner, you know? Oh yeah. So the, and the Taliban representatives, they're being honest about this. They're like, you know, we're not going to do anything bad. We're going to find those people and then they'll face justice. But what you don't, what you need to understand is that in that, environment justice is they go to the tribal elders the tribal elders hold hold a court and that person is convicted and then they're executed that day so they might be burned alive they might be hung they might be shot they might be stoned but that's the justice that they're looking at facing right now it's stunning to hear that and of course those uh, biometric reports um that they've got those those little equipment pieces that they hold up and they get the eye scans and everything. And you're saying that they're not that sophisticated. So uh, the Taliban can understand how to use them. They don't require a password to, to break into them. So basically anybody left in country who was an ally of ours is, is now just, they're kind of like the Jews in hiding from Hitler. They're, they're just waiting to be found. Yeah, so it's my understanding that uh, the U.S. was trying to go in on the back end and like if those devices were plugged into the network, they could potentially clear them when they're synced, but they're, they're usable offline. So they, they have all that info. Man, and so we've got, a, we've got a, at least a few hundred Americans over there. Uh, what happens to those people, do you think? Oh, yeah. So that's something I really want to talk to talk about as well, because um it's amazing when you like when you search on Google, you can do the searching in time periods. So I compare the results that I pull up on Google compared to the results on um, I use uh, um, DuckDuckGo. Mm -hmm. And when I was looking for further back than about a week, if you search on DuckDuckGo, all the results are there's at least 15,000 American citizens. And if you search on Google, it's there's at least 1,500 American citizens. So as of a week ago, we were looking for still about 15,000 US citizens 
to, to get out. And what people need to understand in the environment of the, the Kandahar airfield. Okay, so when you hear airport, you think like the kind of airports that we have, there's one runway there. There's no security. There's no like terminals or anything. It's like there's a runway and a giant mob of people around it with some concertina wire. And it is a total madhouse. Nobody has any papers. It's just total anarchy over there, there right now. And thousands and thousands of people trying to get in. Um, some of them had their paperwork confiscated and destroyed. Other ones just don't have any paperwork. And then in that environment where U.S. forces were not going out and seeking our people and finding them and bringing them back like other countries were, you're telling me that a week ago there was 15,000 and then today there's only 250, which is about the same number that Britain, the U.K. was reporting. They actually proactively you know, hunted their people down to, to extricate them. Okay, yeah, sure. That makes a lot of sense to me. You know, it's it's a little bit suspicious, you could say. Um, so do you think that that our government is not telling us the truth? Oh, they're absolutely not telling us the truth. It's and it's it's really obvious. And you could also just listen to the words that they're using. They're saying there's only 250 people who were unsure that they wanted to leave. They're they're trying to basically pass the blame onto those people as if they should have known. For it was even if you overlook the fact that it wasn't safe to travel to the airport over the past couple of days. I mean, look at the horrific bombing that just happened. Yeah, it wasn't even possible to make it past the crush of people, you know. And they're saying that somewhere around fifty thousand Afghan refugees were taken out. What you need to know too, in that group of people, it's unlikely. Like the majority, I would be surprised if. Like, if I'd be surprised if most of them even had any form of paperwork at all. And those refugees that got out with no documentation, no way to tell who, who they are. Like, com it's completely impossible to know who they are and what their background is. Um, the Taliban was in charge of the outer security perimeter before you could even get close to the airport. The people that were, they got through and made up that pool of 50,000 refugees some of them got out before the Taliban took control, but the majority of them were screened by the Taliban. So right. if you were a terrorist group in Afghanistan and you had complete and total control over the security perimeter and everybody was just getting through with no papers, do you think that your people would be at the front of the line or the back of the line? Yeah, you're sending, you're sending your terrorists abroad and say, you know, we'll, we'll be in touch. Go get yourself settled, we'll be in touch. Well, I understand from um, one of our senators, Senator Ron Johnson, sent a letter to the Secretary of Defense and State Department saying, you know, how many how many Americans were actually turned away from the Kabul airport and prevented from uh, evacuating? Our, now we're hearing from our government that none were. And the, the Kabul embassy itself said no Americans were turned away. And yet we had, we've got numerous, numerous reports of people who were also people who have green cards and people have work permits. So those would be our allies, essentially. It's, it's so easy to tell that they're lying there because when people are showing up with no papers, there's no way for you to even know if they're citizens or not. It's like they'd even check if they were citizens or not. They were just, you know, at certain points in time, they didn't have the, the ability to process people and they were turning people away. Whether or not they were citizens, they didn't screen them. They couldn't know. So for them to, what, what it really boils down to when they put out press releases like that is that they, they think that we're stupid. Yeah. 
and they think if they can just stall long enough, then the news cycle will be able to cover this all up for them is what they think. Yep, some other disaster will, will seem more important and everybody will forget about it. So um, basically, I think even the Washington Post is reporting that that they 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 left behind Americans, and then you have the White House saying, "Well, we've not seen any reports of that." So you know, yeah. So we're not. Also, we're at not, the same time. We've, there's we've lost you know, there was, faith here. Yeah. So there was the news articles about the whole like the Operation Pineapple Express, where um, uh, U.S. civilians who were former military were working behind the scenes to get people out through their own means. And sure. so it's like, yeah, the State Department's coming out and saying like, oh, well, we know exactly where everybody is and how many people there are. Meanwhile, there have been people exfilling without even communicating that with them. It's like, if the Pineapple Express got out 500 to 1,000 people and they didn't do that coordinating with you, and then you're saying you know exactly how many people there were and, and there are and where they are, um, that doesn't really add up either. Yeah. Well, we've got, um, you know, we've got a big gap now between in, in trust between Americans and their media and Americans and their their White House. In fact, the latest poll from the Rasmussen reports shows that a majority of Americans think that this whole thing has been handled very poorly and a small uh, minority think that it's been handled well or satisfactorily. And I don't know who those people are. They may not be paying attention because anybody who's paying attention knows this has been an unmitigated disaster. And yeah, there, there's a there's some people out there that have very comfortable and secure lives. That there's people that don't even know anybody who knows someone who served in the military. And it's kind of hard to imagine for anybody who's listening to this right now. But there's a lot of people out there that fall in that group. You know, when you talk mm -hmm. about like professors at UC Berkeley, um, people that grew up in the suburbs in LA, like. They don't even know somebody who knows somebody that served in the military. They're so disconnected from the sacrifices that we had to make in our community for this country that this it just doesn't really matter very much to them. And you know, and in spite of what they say about caring so much about empathy and all that, they don't they don't care about the human cost of these decisions that were made. And on that note too, people really need to think about so the the Bagram Airfield not only did it have two runways, whereas Kandahar only has one, the US spent two decades building it up. It was completely secured. They had a heavily fortified position. They had standoff. They had everything that they needed to successfully pull this off. I've and seen the geography of it and you're right. It was it was a pretty secure airfield, although you might've been able to get up in the, in the mountains above it and launch and shoulder launch missile off get it but oh yeah like well they were those things are out of range of um you know it's is is a very secure area is the point so when biden was on tv saying the other day that oh well it's the general's fault because they they told me that this is the best way to do it that is completely false and obviously he's lying but what he told them is he told them you have to meet this arbit this criteria that i'm arbitrarily setting you know, that we have, the, yeah. we have to have this number of troops on this timeline. And then the generals told him, well, if that's what we have to do, the only way we could do that is we would have to decide whether we were going to secure the embassy or um, the evacuation on Bagram. And then he said, okay, well, we're, we'll secure the embassy then. And that was Biden's decision based off the cr criteria that was set by 
Biden. That, and they that closed. Was not, and they closed Bagram. Right. And so when they just when they decided to close Bagram, they might have been able to get away with it if the whole country didn't collapse around them, and there was no more security, and that's when everything just completely went nuts. So we're not going to get a, a chance to hear much more news reporting coming out of there. I don't think. I mean, what? So it'll be all controlled by the Taliban, and if. Um, we think that we're going to didn't get enough information so far. Well, we're really going to see it closed down now. We're not going to know what goes on. Is that correct in your mind? Uh, what I expect to see is there's, I mean, the same type of things that you saw coming out of like areas like Syria, for example, there's going to be just internet videos here and there, like propaganda videos. You're going to see some, some execution videos and stuff like that. Um, the, the number one most hated person in that area, if you were a pilot, that flew with the, the Afghan military. And it's kind of ironic because I saw there was a, a good looking young lady who was a, a military pilot that she's been on TV talking in a number of different settings. She was in the Afghan military. The, the, the hatred that they have for pilots, it's on a whole nother level. Those are the ones that they save like the really gory, horrific executions for. So like they're gonna be hunting those people down. They're gonna be killing them in ways that they can send a message. So you'll see those videos posted online. And there's already there's already been a little bit of that coming out. I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Well, we um, uh, we know now that uh, we've moved the um, the Kabul embassies has been removed to Doha, Qatar, and uh, they that are we are completely pulled out of there. We can't go in and get anybody else. So when people are there, what do you think people are going to do to try to get out Americans who are who are left there? I mean, I'm presuming that the Americans who are left there are, um, you know, they look like Afghans, they probably speak the language, they're, um, they just happen to be American citizens that, you know, maybe they're spies, they're spooks, I don't know, maybe they're just uh, uh, interpreters, but how, what's going to happen to them? How are they going to get out? Are they going to get out or they're done? I would imagine it's probably going to be pretty difficult for those people to, um, they probably would have to cross one of the borders, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Afghanistan borders many countries and all of them are kind of on the lookout now. They don't want people moving back and forth because they don't want militants traveling back and forth. They don't want weapons traveling back and forth. They've got a, a number of security reasons to lock down the border. So um, it's been my understanding that the Taliban is already coming out and saying that they're going to try to restrict the flow of people moving out of the country. You, you can't have a good authoritarian dictatorship if you if you allow your people to leave um mm -hmm. you know it's the reason why you know you can't leave north korea it's the reason why the Ber berlin wall existed and so yeah if if you're stuck there um i really i have no idea how those people would be getting out in the future like i i couldn't even guess on that one that's that's going to be difficult for those people yeah those are their landlocks not like they can go uh, swim swim around the the border in Tijuana and, and get to America. They can't do it. Well, I know that uh, we've got uh, just a few seconds left here. and we've, we, we haven't even covered the role of ISIS and Al-Qaeda um, and how they've got a very complicated relationship with the Taliban. But I feel like there's going to be a lot more uh, sort of internecine warfare between these groups that uh, for control. And that just because we're gone doesn't mean that the um, bloodshed is over over there. I, it's a, a little worrisome. Of course, we're all very, very concerned about the women and girls, particularly. We know that uh, that for them, it's pretty much a death sentence. 
they will be um, in, they'll be in slavery now. If, if they do go around and round up all of the people that worked with us and execute them, like it's looking like they're going to try to do, if they actually do do that, if we ever go back there again, the country is going to be 100% hostile because mm -hmm. anybody who was willing to help us already will have been dead. You know, we've already, we've already, but not only did we betray them, but those people would have actually been purged by that point. So hopefully we never have any interest in that region again, because the, the U.S. reputation there is beyond destroyed. Well, Jay, I want to thank you for being on our show. And I want to remind everybody that Jay McDonald has a column up at mustreadalaska.com this week. And it's all about the, the freedoms that he fought for and made, made sure that we were safe to enjoy and how quickly they're slipping away from us here in the United States. And Jay, I want to thank you for that column. It's got amazing response. There's been over 90 comments under that column so far on the website. So thank you for that. You're an excellent writer. And um, everybody, before we go for the rest of the week, be sure to sign up for the newsletter at mustreadalaska.com. And we send it out three times a week. It always kind of catch you up on what's been on the web that you might have missed. Maybe you didn't catch it on Facebook. You catch it in your inbox. Scott Levesque, thank you so much for everything you do as a producer on this show. And everybody who is interested in more content from us, do check out the Wednesday podcast from Scott Levesque because uh, he does a great job for Must Read Alaska. And he's an important part of our team here. He's always got a lot of good stuff to say. If you're a supporter of our uh, project here, Must Read Alaska is the right side of the news. Thank you so much. It makes us possible to stand up for what's right in Alaska. So until next time, just want to sign off from somewhere in Alaska.